Um, this session, we've really got two uh, presentations. It's really a TED-style uh, talk, which I think will be quite interesting. Um, we've got two different topics. The first one is looking at the Sunland Benchmark uh, research, and the second one is, is some interesting work that was done around uh, retirement fund death benefit distribution uh, process. Uh, first up is uh, Varesh Maharaj. He's the Chief Operating Officer at uh, Sunlam uh, Client Solutions and Sunlam Employee Benefits. But also he's been involved with the Sunlam uh, survey for the last, I think it's the last eight, seven, eight years. So really for many, many years. And as we all know, the Sunlam um, survey has contributed significantly to research in South Africa, helping to shape the industry, give us some insights, retirement reform, etc. And uh, it's a great privilege to introduce uh, Varej. You can take us through uh, the presentation. Looking forward to it. Thank you, John. Um, ladies and gents, thank you so much for your time and attention this afternoon. It is uh, 3 o'clock, and I know that many of our colleagues have uh, jumped ship already, so I do appreciate you being here. I'd like to speak to you today about the results of the 2016 Sunlum Benchmark Survey. Now, this is a survey that we've been doing for a number of years, and the reason we do it is simply to help the industry to improve member outcomes. So I'm having a bit of trouble clicking through. Okay, there we go. Today, I'll touch on these various aspects on screen, but I must caution you that what you'll get today is a very, very condensed version of what is quite comprehensive research. And so I encourage you to go to the site listed on the screen there, the www.sunlumbenchmark.coza, and I'll repeat this request at the end of my presentation to access the full range of data for 2016, as well as for the past 35 years. And in doing so, my hope is that you're able to use this data in your daily work to help you to improve your clients' members' outcomes as well. So let's speak a bit about the survey itself so that you've got some context as to what is it that we as Sunlum have been doing for the past 35 years. So I'm having some trouble moving this. It's, as I've mentioned, it's got a 35-year track record and is freely available to the public. The reason we don't charge for it, the reason it's simply on a website and we've got various tools that enable various people to manipulate and apply the data is to enable yourselves, individuals like yourselves, consultants around the country, other stakeholders in managing employees' and members' retirement assets to manage them in a better way. And with this, we also provide our thought leadership articles on the site. So please, again, I call on you to make use of it. In designing the survey this year, we've taken the view that improving member outcomes is as a result of an enabling ecosystem. There is simply no silver bullet in our retirement funding landscape within South Africa to move more members to better outcomes. However, by putting in place a system of components with the right linkages between them and by optimizing the system, we can move more members to better outcomes. Not all members because, as I've said, there isn't a silver bullet. But by doing certain things differently, we can help more people than we're helping right now. So let's get stuck into this. A key area that we've identified as a gap is in individuals, employees, and members' awareness of their retirement funding benefits. 
From the data we've received from this year's member and pensioner survey, we find that, in fact, more than 50% consistently did not, well, claim not to have received any information on their retirement funding from their employer or fund. Now, this may not be the case, but this is the perception of the individuals whose futures we're trying to impact. A third indicated that they understood their benefit statements. Now, if they're anything like me when I'm indicating my own awareness and understanding of things, that's an overstatement. We can assume that far fewer of them actually understand what their benefit statements are actually saying. Another indication that there is a lack of awareness is the fact that in the survey, more than 50% of respondents indicated that they were not aware that they had access to group de death or disability benefits. And that's massive because it can cause them, A, not to claim, um, or not be aware that they can claim, or not claim early enough, or they go and purchase additional products unnecessarily and therefore not economically uh, optimizing their retirement funding journeys. Now, I want to pause here and talk about awareness because we, inside, I listen to Cape Talk in the mornings, and every day, if there's any issue from this morning, it was the size of parking spaces to anything that people want to call in and complain about. Someone calls in and says, no, education is the answer. If you educate people, they'll do the right thing. How many of you in the audience know that you should be exercising five times a week, 30 minutes each day? I assume most of you. I know this isn't the health session, but still. Um, how many of you actually do exercise five times a day, or five times a week for at least 30 minutes a day? Okay. There are some. Not everyone who put their hand up. And that says to me that simple awareness isn't enough. Education on its own isn't enough. Member communication on its own isn't the answer. Even though we often find that that's touted as the answer, it is not the silver bullet. It's necessary, and good member communication has many great benefits, but it is not the answer. It's part of the answer. One of the other answers that's typically provided whenever anyone asks a question related to their retirement fund is, speak to your financial advisor. That's the baseline default, which makes sense, but unfortunately, there are some gaps here as well, in the sense that we find that members, A, do appreciate the value that financial advice can provide because nine out of 10 of them do see the need for it and want financial advice. Four out of 10 are not prepared to pay for that advice. What we find is that of those who've actually received advice during their working lives, three out of four of them only first received advice related to their retirement funding within 10 years of retirement itself. Now that's too late to make a material positive difference to your, your prospects in retirement. Advice at that stage can still help you or prevent you from making very poor choices so that you don't further negatively impact your retirement income, but you've lost the power of time. What we also find is that four out of 10 employees have never actually received advice. So the default response by HR, by trustees, by various stakeholders that speak to your financial advisor, while it might hold true for individuals who have access to a financial advisor, who can pay for a financial advisor, it makes sense because good financial advice does lead to better outcomes if you stick to it. But the reality is that many individuals in our industry don't have that access, cannot afford financial advice, and on the other side of that coin, 
many of them do not have the necessary fund sizes to make them economically attractive for advisors to actually service. And so they're a neglected part of the, the employee base. And this is where new, new technologies such as FinTech has a, have a role to play. Because we find that with the FinTech technologies that are coming online or available at present, even though in a very basic state, they help improve access to a basic level of financial advice that may be appropriate for many individuals who are currently not receiving any form of advice or counseling. So financial technology is a complementary service to the one-on-one -on -one advice that an individual can have access to right now. FinTech, in this context, increases the breadth of basic financial advice to help more people improve their outcomes relative to where they would have been without access to this technology. Again, I must caution that it is not going to help everyone because there are people that will still not access it. But as an industry, we've got to consider the tools we have at our disposal in order to help more people to help themselves. In a sense, to set up people for, for success in every way possible, as opposed to leaving the gaps that are currently in the system that enable them to take poorer decisions. Now, I've got the bottom point there about enabling HR. And uh, in this process of conducting the research and engaging with various people around the industry, we have found, or we've formed the hypothesis that HR is your critical leverage point in order for individuals to improve their financial outcomes because they tend to seek advice, they tend to seek help, they tend to seek counseling first from their HR. Procedurally, HR are the custodians of the various processes related to one's retirement funding and group risk benefits. I've got a number of anecdotal stories where an individual leaving company A was advised by their HR practitioner to withdraw their benefits in cash because it's fewer forms for the HR individual to fill out. And I've heard that story not just a handful of times now and from various people from various organizations. Financial technology, and sorry, the reason why HR does it is they, A, they don't have context or understanding of the impact that this type of behavior has on an, on an individual and their likely financial outcome over time. And they don't have the tools to enable them to help that individual. So they default to common human behavior, which is the path of least resistance. And without knowing so, they help to disable that individual's ability to fund their retirement. To that end, we find that 40% of respondents, so these are employers as well as funds, indicated that they would consider implementing robo-advice. And given that robo-advice is a fairly new concept, we believe that this is quite a high proportion even at this stage. As I've touched on, preservation is a key area where robo-advice can play a role to impact on many more people's lives than is currently the case. We find that 70% of, indivi of individuals polled did not preserve when changing jobs. And if we buy into the argument that millennials tend to change jobs more regularly, they've got a great opportunity to disable their retirement funding if they're not preserving regularly when they change jobs. 60% of those that did not preserve did not understand the tax impact nor the impact on their ability to fund for retirement due to this. Now, in the data itself, there we've got details on how various funds are implementing strategies to encourage preservation. Quite encouragingly, we find that even though it's in its infancy, some funds and umbrella funds 
have already implemented default preservation strategies, typically quite cheaper and more efficient than the retail options available at present. So speaking of defaults, uh, if we dig into what's currently in the market as for default portfolios, we find that life stage tends to take up the bulk of the, the default portfolios in the, the market at this stage. And life stage is in life stage and the number of differences between them. Um, and you can dig into that in the data itself. But I do want to point out that in the research, we polled whether or not these funds would, or what would they do for those who currently were, had a default portfolio and a guaranteed product, what would they consider doing if the default regulations come through in the, in the, in the form at the time? And most of them would switch through to balanced funds. So a similar question, but looking at it in a different context. The split for default portfolios across active, passive, and hybrids of those approaches. And what we find is that there is a tendency, specifically standalone funds, to be more inactive than the hybrid. Um, on the umbrella funds, you'll find that that's quite lower than 100%. And that's because a number of respondents didn't, and didn't know what their default portfolio actually was which speaks to the awareness of the employer themselves as to what they're investing their employees' money in. But if we consider the to-be state, we find that there is a significant bias towards investing in hybrid-type approaches, whether or not it's a core satellite or life stage that incorporates an element of passive. We find that that tends to be the, the, the default choice for the default choice currently. On to another component of the system, and this is where we look at the costs. Um, I'm hoping that many of you would have attended David Blackman's presentation this morning, and he would have dealt with these aspects in a far greater level of uh, granularity than I can. So please, if you have an opportunity, do download the presentation off the app. But as an indication, when admin costs, so retirement funding admin costs, when they're expressed as a percentage of salary, we find that on average, Standalone funds are more expensive than umbrella funds, but that doesn't really say anything. When we look at fund size, or split this by fund size, we find that standalone funds on the smaller end are quite a bit more expensive than umbrella funds on the smaller end. When we express costs as a rand amount per member per month, the same story holds out. But this speaks to the argument of why many standalone funds have considered moving to umbrella funds, but as I'll get to shortly, I hope to convince you that cost alone isn't a reason to make decisions when it comes to funding for retirement. It is very important, but we should not be fixated on it. But even just on costs, what we find is that our respondents, the bulk of our respondents, found it very difficult to actually compare costs for their various services, so to actually compare retirement funding costs. One in five, one in four actually indicated that it was very difficult to do so. Now, ladies and gents, I want to stop there for a moment and say that this isn't your man on the street. These are your employers or your employee representatives um, who sit on the fund uh, joint forums or mancos. These are your principal offices of large and small and medium standalone funds. They're the ones saying that it's difficult. For the man on the street, for the actual employee, it must be near impossible. So in the umbrella fund space, the EAC uh, measures are likely to be introduced over the coming years. But we would lobby that th that type of transparency, that degree of comparability needs to be applicable across the retirement funding industry, standalone umbrella across the board, so that people actually know how much they're paying. The other issue is 
people need to understand, or stakeholders need to understand what they're actually paying for. So there's an old saying that price is what you pay and value is what you get. And this holds true in the retirement funding space. Not only do people not know how much they're paying, it's very difficult to understand what you're actually paying for. And a reductionist approach, which is used by many internationally, is to say, well, just go to your lowest cost. Compare the lowest cost and then you've got your best option. But that's not actually the case if you buy into this argument of value. Yeah. A guy at the fruit and veg, and this is a real story, told me that a rotten apple at half price, it might be unspecial, but it's still not a good deal. So fixating on costs without understanding what it is you're actually buying, without understanding the structures that enable better outcomes. As David put it quite nicely this morning, our, the role of our industry isn't to reduce costs. It's to improve members' outcomes. And so we've got to consider the system. What makes it even worse is that, fine, paying for a rotten apple at half price is not great. Paying more for a rotten apple is even worse. So if we buy into the argument that it's difficult to understand how much you're paying and it's difficult to understand what you're paying for, then it speaks to the fact that we need high-quality consultants. Consultants play a critical role. In fact, let me put a caveat, a, a qualifier on this. We need excellent consultants. We need these excellent consultants who are able to unpack these costs and relate the qualitative differences and the value being provided by the various platforms on the table across the retirement funding value chain. It's not just umbrella fund, it's not just standalone, it's not just risk, it's across the respective value chains in our industry aimed at improving members' outcomes. Uh, we would call for various funds or various types of products to be rebroked or reviewed every three years so that new options are put onto the table so that the, the efficiencies that David alluded to earlier this morning can be brought through to various employers and employees to help them to optimize their retirement funding journeys. We believe that an excellent consultant has the ability to apply their energy, experience, insight, independence, and influence to help move more members to better outcomes by engaging decision makers and stakeholders and help them to understand what they're buying how much they're paying for it, and to be able to select the best option that's suitable for their employee set. And they've got a vested interest in doing so. Because when we interviewed employers, we found that financial wellness was a key area of focus for them, with more than half seeing that financial stress was a problematic issue in their workforce, nine out of 10 being interested in the financial wellness of their employees, and 60% seeing financial wellness as a source of competitive advantage. So if they're able to implement this enabling ecosystem, and it doesn't have to look like this. This is just because of my limitations in PowerPoint and I wanted some pretty colors, but an ecosystem does exist. And if we as an industry, as we as retirement fund stakeholders can implement and influence the development of the system, we can improve the financial wellness and retirement outcomes for these members. So, I see I've just reached my time limit, and with that, uh, I've got to ask if you've got any questions. I think, Varej, what, what we'll do is, I think, in the interest of time, because I think there's quite a lot to unpack here, so I mean, I definitely have okay. quite a few questions, so if we can maybe just leave it to to the end, so we okay. can have a robust uh, debate. 
So we can unpack you know, each no, of those. Absolutely. So I definitely request everybody to please you know, write, down, write down the questions. Let's have a look at the end uh, after both, both presentations are done. And just make sure that, you know, that we can finish uh, on time then. No, great. But Varish, thank you so much. I think that was some really great insights, so thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, John.